0: The Bitterfly Podcast, knowledge is food, bitches, eat up. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of The Bitterfly Podcast. This week we're talking to Drew Lambrina. She is a school counselor and she was also on Nickelodeon's brain surge in middle school and then Wipeout. So a multifaceted person. Um, We're here to talk about neurodivergence. All right. Welcome.
1: (laughs) Hi.
0: (laughs) Um, Everyone that's listening, Drew and I kind of just met, but we went to the same elementary school, middle school, high school, and then kind of diverged on different paths from there, but um, reconnected on Instagram recently. Yeah,
1: we've always been like, we knew of each other, I think is the best way to put it.
0: Today, you guys were talking about neurotypical versus neurodivergent. If you haven't heard the term neurodivergent before, Drew, maybe do you want to just explain kind of like what that is in the context of this world we live in?
1: Yeah, so it's pretty simple. It's kind of is what it sounds like. It's just any like mental or ner- not neurological, but just any sort of divergence from the norm of what we consider neurotypical, which is like the standard of way people process things and think and um, respond to things. Neurodivergence is just really anything outside of what we think of the standard.
0: What might point to someone being neurodivergent?
1: So there are lots of different things. It's just kind of a cognitive variation. So that can look like autism, that can look like ADHD, it can look like dyslexia. Um, so any cognitive variation that's different from again, like the standard or what's considered normal which is a weird way to put it, but yeah, <laughs> essentially what it is.
0: Well, brains are so subjective in the way that we yeah. like go about life, and one thing you mentioned before when we talked about this is when you go to Google something, how to do blank, whatever it is mm-hmm. uh, that description is from a neurotypical. Perspective generally exactly, like, how to have a hard conversation, how to install a light bulb, whatever it is. it's like that was probably written by like the majority of people that think a certain way mm-hmm. so it can be really hard if your brain works differently
1: exactly because they might do steps in an order that doesn't seem as efficient to someone else, they might do have steps that people aren't comfortable with it's it's interesting um and so we definitely live in a neurotypical world as I'm sure any minority of any type of anything can attest to uh, definitely. Whether that's like race or lgbtqa or anything like that everything is usually put into a perspective of neurotypical um you know white men binary all those, all those
0: stuff yep. yeah definitely and it's it's hard if you don't fit into that to just go about this world <laughs> in that way so for you personally like what do you think was different about your you fall into the category of neurodivergent right um I think I do too I think a lot of people do they might not even realize like oh that's why life was so hard for me or Mm -hmm. whatever it was um what do you think was different about your childhood than say a neurotypical person
1: so like let's start with like circumstances like my circumstances I would say were typical like um my parents weren't together but I had two very you know loving sets of parents I had a home I was provided for so like in that context like it was pretty standard Mm -hmm. um but when I think about like my interactions with others kind of growing up like it's just interesting. Cause I, I think of like kindergarten and I laughed so much at inappropriate times for so long. I couldn't control it. Um, which is just like, you know, what five-year-olds do, they're giggly. Yeah. They're giggly. Um, but I did know that I, I even got uncomfortable with how long it lasted. Um, <laughs> but like, I couldn't stop. Yeah. Um, or when I think of like, talking to my peers like if they were poking fun at me or being sarcastic with me I didn't really understand it and so I would kind of like stand there awkwardly and just like smile (laughs) um or like laugh like I didn't really know what they were talking about and I think I had a harder time as a kid I could make friends right Um, But I definitely had a harder time keeping friends like you know when you think elementary school you're like oh kids have so many friends they have like they can play with
0: whoever they want. Oh it's so easy to make friends you just walk up to someone and you're like, how many teeth have you lost or like what's your favorite color, you know, exactly. okay, we're friends but then like going deeper than that and building like a rapport with somebody that lasts. That's more than just like saying hi. That's definitely right. like difficult for children.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I agree. And so when I think of that aspect, like I have my friend group that I've had since elementary school and that's it. <laughs> like I made those friends and then, you know, I've lost touch with some of them and that's okay because that's what happens. But like my best friend that was in my best friend in elementary school is my best friend now any kind of relationships that I made after that kind of like fell off but if I made them when I was younger there's still a thing um and so I think that was some something that's a little different because you, you know normally people can like make lots of friends throughout their lifetime and for me I'm like no I'm good I had I have my set friends mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's who I kind of just still tend to hang out with
0: that's like your comfort zone
1: yeah um, it just takes up a lot of energy. I think that's something different, too, is that all of my social interactions take so much energy um, okay. than, I think, a what we think of as, like, typical.
0: Yeah, and does that extend past, like, just being an introvert?
1: I think so. I think I'm naturally introverted, but I think I'm especially introverted because when I do go out, um, it's, like, a whole nother level of things I have to think about. Uh, thinking about how to introduce myself to someone, what tone I want to use, um, all that stuff. And I'm usually done within like an hour. Um, (laughs) And then I'm good for like another few months. Um, And so I think at a base layer, I am introverted, but there is an extra level to it that I think just makes it extra hard for me, Mm -hmm. for
0: sure. So what we're getting to everyone that's listening is something that Drew found out about herself in therapy. So do you kind of want to like talk about like that discovery for you and your aha moment?
1: Absolutely. So as many college students do, we got stressed out. Um, Stressed out, burned out. (laughs) Got stressed out, burned out. I was like around 19, I think. Um, You know, I was working and so I could pay for my own therapy stuff. I was very privileged in that way. Um, and I went to therapy mainly because I had really high anxiety and I was feeling really depressed. Um, and over time with my therapist, she would notice little, little things that I would do when I was talking, Um, whether that was kind of like rubbing my fingers together, um, really kind of saying a pattern of feeling misunderstood or that I wasn't communicating with people correctly. And so finally, one day she was just like, have you ever considered that you might be autistic? And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was like, why? And she was super nice. And she let me get there on my own. She was like, oh, just some of the things that like we've talked about. Because she, she mentioned to me that she was on the spectrum And she said she noticed a lot of similarities in the things that I was saying and some of her personal experiences and, you know, noticing me like, um, kind of touching my fingers together to comfort myself or like bringing my dog for comfort and stuff like that. And so I did not, we kind of left that conversation there and there was a part of me that was kind of like, what makes, what part of that is, (laughs) makes me autistic. Um, and so I did some research on my own. And she like recommended this book that was pretty much like diagnosing autism and like all the intermediary parts of like what that's about. Um, And she did warn me. She was just like, you're going to find a lot of stuff on men. So they might not particularly pertain Mm -hmm. to you, but I want you to look a little through that and see if that pertains to yourself. And so I think it took like another year after that for me to tell her, oh, I understand what you were trying to say now. (laughs) Uh, you know, just me not understanding the responses yeah. of that conversation and why she was asking me in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and we worked together more and more. And, you know, I looked through my childhood and my life through the lens of autism. And I was like, yep, okay, this is this is a part of how I experience the world around me. All right, I'm autistic. That's fine. Do
0: you remember <laughs> what that book was called?
1: I don't because it was really sciencey. Uh, it was it was legitimately, like, a mental health, like, book for, like, therapists and diagnosticians. Uh,
0: okay. Um,
1: and she just knows I'm very academically inclined, so she didn't think I'd have a hard time with it. Yeah. And so, like, here you go. Literally read this textbook. And I said, okay.
0: Was that kind of the source of your dep- – it wasn't just depression, anxiety? Like, those things were kind of, like, a symptom of – just your difficulty interacting with the world at large?
1: Yeah. So I won't say it was all of it, right? Like there were some other things aside from how I process the word world around me that was adding to my high intensity of Mm. anxiety, depression, but anxiety, depression are very common, um, like layered diagnoses with autism because it's harder for people to understand us, because we have to interact with the world at such a high level of energy. Um, Having anxiety and depression is very normal if you have an autism diagnosis. Uh, But there were other things going on that were making it worse. And so we kind of worked through both at the same time. She kind of let me process my feelings that led me there in the first place. And then we processed the diagnosis underneath that after I had finally come to terms of, okay, this is something that I am.
0: Yeah. And so there's no like medical test for determining if someone is on the autism spectrum.
1: No, there's no like brain scan you can do, there's no like blood test you can take. Um, a lot of the time, especially if you're an adult, it's just through observation with like a clinician or a psychiatrist and uh, them kind of deciding, yes, you fall into the category of autistic and
0: being on the spectrum. So it's kind of like ADHD in that way. Like you just have to be like watched and observed. (laughs) Yep. Also like
1: signs and symptoms do have to be present as a child. Um, So it can't just be like, I'm an adult and now I'm just starting to uh, struggle with social interaction and eye contact and social cues. It's like those things do have to be present throughout
0: your life for you to receive a diagnosis. Okay, so you just mentioned some common signs, like what are like the lack of eye contact? Um, What are some other common signs?
1: Yeah, so I think to kind of answer this question, it's going to be easy to start with just what is autism in general, and then I'll kind of move down so that it makes a little bit more sense for people who aren't as versed in it as I am. Um, So autism spectrum disorder, generally known as autism, is just kind of a condition related to brain development Um, and it really just impacts how a person perceives and socializes with others Um, but obviously the big things is that it can cause problems in social interaction and communication Um, so those are kind of the big the biggest things the most general things Mm -hmm. Um, but there are lots of signs for it so as a kid um, it's like has trouble making eye contact or avoids eye contact altogether. Um, maybe they don't respond to their name by the time that they should be, like around I think I think it's a year old, nine nine months to a year old. They don't respond to their name. Um they don't they being just children who are autistic, um, don't show facial expressions as often. Um they don't really do a lot of make believe games with other kids. They do parallel play, right? They'll play next to a kid. They don't necessarily play with a kid um and I joke with my husband all the time. I'm like that we parallel play because <laughs> we do lots of things next to each other, and to us that's like totally fine. Yeah. Um, and so you know they can show really high interest in certain areas. they'll be experts in these certain areas um, They might not understand they can still have empathy. I wanna kind of dispel the myth that like autistic people don't have empathy, Um, but they might not understand the emotions of others right off the bat. It's not intuitive for them. Um, They might wanna play a very certain way. They might wanna line things up as opposed to like playing imagination. They might like lining things up in a certain order or like um, they have a car like watching the wheels turn, like that's playing to them. And so that's like for kids. I think when you grow up and it becomes adulthood, it's definitely like you can still stim, which is just when you have a big feeling, you can, I think hand flapping is a normal one that people are familiar with, Mm -hmm. hand flap or like, you know, squealing.
0: Another one I've heard recently is that like stimming could just be listening to like the same song or watching the same movie like over and over and over again as a means of like calming yourself down.
1: Absolutely. And so there's there's different types of stimming. There's visual stimming, which is maybe watching a fish go back and forth or watching certain colors. There's auditory stimming, which is what you were saying, where it's like listening to a song over and over. or Maybe you hear a song or sorry, maybe you hear like a beeping sound and you repeat the beep. Um, There's olfactory stimming, which is like smells or tastes. So maybe kids like to put stuff in their mouth or adults like to put stuff in their mouth because it feels nice. Um, There's tactile stimming, which is actually What my therapist noticed in therapy, which was the rubbing of my hands together as a method of Uh self-soothing. And so like touching soft things, putting things against, like rubbing things against each other. Um, So those are kind of all the, I know I'm forgetting one, but (laughs) like, those are kind of like the general types of stimming Mm -hmm. Um, can be used as self-soothing or excitement, showing excitement, stuff like that. Um, But yeah. Yeah. weird
0: that just like unlocked something for me um my sister used to just like she would kind of like stare off and like write in the air like in Mm -hmm. cursive with her finger just kind of making like little zigzag wiggles things I think I did too for some period and we were always just like that's so weird why why is that happening it just like feels good I don't know yeah
1: and so I do want to be very intentful with my words and saying that like stimming is not just autistic people. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone stims. I think what makes it neurodivergent versus neurotypical is that the intensity and the reasons why
0: mm-hmm. um, okay. and
1: how often it happens. Because so yeah, I, I mean, want... people
0: just pace back and forth sometimes to yeah. calm down. Yeah. A stim. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're listening. When you do that, it does be a stim.
0: <laughs> everyone. We just learned a new word. Maybe you're stimming. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Oh, another big one is routine. Like it is so Uh hard for people on the spectrum if they have a routine to kind of diverge from that. And that actually really impacts me at work because I'm a school counselor where I'll have my schedule set for the day. Mm -hmm. And then one of my supervisors will be like, I need you to do something else. And I have to really fight being upset with them about it. (laughs) I'm just like, this is a normal thing. This is my job. This happens. It's okay. (laughs) But like, Internally I'm intensely irritated because I had planned out my whole day and now I gotta do something else, even though it falls well within the bounds of my job.
0: <laughs> and is that like connected to just being overwhelmed? Like when you have a routine, you're kind of like safe in, in what to expect. I think and that's what the is gonna look like.
1: I think that's part of it. I know part of for me, part of it is like I have set up my day to be efficient. Mm. Um, okay. and I'm just like, and now it's no longer efficient. I'm doing <laughs> things in the wrong order and it's not being done as good. And
0: now it's their fault. <laughs> we talked about stimming. We talked about special interests. What I don't are- think we
1: actually talked too much about special interests.
0: Let's talk about special interests. Yeah.
1: Um, so special interests is that a lot of people on the spectrum have a couple of topics that they're very knowledgeable about want to talk about with people a lot. It's something that they're almost experts in. Um, And so that being said, a lot of people, when they, again, when they think autism, kind of going into some of those stereotypes, they're like, well, if you're autistic, you must be really interested in STEM, like math, science. Like you must be really good (laughs) at it. And I'm just like, no, (laughs) I'm really good at other stuff, but
0: um, not that one in particular. I feel Um, like sometimes it could be really niche, like 1800s guns or something. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it can be really niche. Or like dinosaurs, I think, is a big one with younger kids. might be another stereotype, but it's one that I've seen a lot. Um, Or... Like, for me, it's Disney stuff, like, not necessarily, like, the background. I I could not tell you who built Disneyland, but, like, ask me about any of the animated movies, and I, like, if there's a part that you're, like, thinking of, they're like, what did they say in that scene? And I could probably recite the whole scene for you by memory. Um, So, it's, like, stuff like that for me, um, where, and I think that's another thing people usually on the spectrum have a really good memory um and so like watching a show like i just have to watch it once or twice and i could probably recite a good chunk of it
0: um well that's so cool do you have like a photographic memory as well
1: um i think to a point cuz i know that for me um reading information is how i kind of remember stuff the best mm-hmm. so if like you tell me something it's going to kind of go in one ear and out the other but if you give me like a note um i can read it and I remember as a kid, I didn't use bookmarks because I would remember what page I was on and not necessarily what sentence I was on, but I would like think of the book in my head and remember where my eyes were looking on the page and just know that I would find it.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. <laughs>
1: and so I'd be like, I know I'm on page 172 in the middle paragraph on the right page. Like That's how I like remembered where I was at
0: that's really interesting sometimes I'll go back through books that I'm reading too and I just like from the shape of how the words look on the page I can kind of do the same thing yeah so okay stimming special interests like what are some other less common signs you kind of mentioned common signs are like avoiding eye contact or um just a sidebar there's this autistic woman I follow on TikTok and Mm -hmm. she would she kind of talked about like pretty privilege when it comes to so this woman on tiktok she's a single mom she has two kids um she was talking about how pretty much her whole life she has been really pretty but she's autistic it but it was like masked so people thought she was just being like cute and charming and (laughs) when she would you know blurt out like really inappropriate things in social settings like she would say stuff that she kind of knew later that she shouldn't have said at work but everybody just kind of let it slide because it's like oh you're being adorable right now
1: right and I think pretty privilege is a thing um and it sucks honestly (laughs) um because there there are people out there who will kind of invalidate that you're autistic because you're normatively attractive. Like that's definitely been a thing where I mentioned it to someone and they're like, aren't you like too pretty to be autistic? And I'm like, I don't think that's the like
0: compliment you think it is. Yeah. I don't relate.
1: Uh... (laughs) Right. And so it's interesting because again, you kind of said like, oh, you're being adorable. So like people will look at it as, oh, they're just quirky. They're like those pixie girls who are just quirky.
0: Manic Um, pixie dream girls. Oh my gosh. Are manic pixie dream girls probably like on the spectrum?
1: (laughs) Uh, I'm not going to, you know, generalize, but I'm sure a few of them actually are. Some are. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, like stuff like that, where they just are like, oh, you're so quirky. And so I think that also feeds into the stereotype of how autistic people are like, supposed to be like really socially awkward and look really awkward and just be kind of like those flies on the walls that you don't really notice until they do something weird or like they don't have like a good fashion sense like stuff like that and so I think it's really important for people to be open about this kind of stuff um, in addition to just you know normalizing the diagnosis so it can be less stigmatized but also so we can destigmatize like some of those or debunk some of those biases. Mm -hmm. Um, I really do think there are more of us out there than are diagnosed. And I think part of the reason people don't get diagnosed is like, I don't want to be associated with that. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, you have some internalized ableism, but it's not that bad.
0: Well, it's (laughs) definitely a spectrum, right? Because I mean, I think some people hear autism, they're like, oh, this person's nonverbal. They're never going to do anything anything with their life. Right. They're going to live with their parents, you Mm -hmm. know, like they can't hold a job
1: or something like that. they'll never
0: be independent.
1: And like, there are the cases like that, right? There are some people who are autistic who will probably not be able to be independent in their lifetime. But even those people can communicate. I think that people forget that pointing to things or making noises or like, you know, being able to point to pictures, are all means of communication just because they're not verbal doesn't mean they can't communicate with you their needs and their wants and so I think that's important too is that like just because you're nonverbal and on the spectrum does not mean you're inherently less intelligent than anyone else you just communicate in a different manner
0: Or like you said earlier, you know, still capable of empathy. Like it just might not be expressed in the neurotypical way.
1: Exactly. It's just not expressed in a way that neurotypical people are used to. Um, Like I find with my students, because I'm open about it with my kids at work. um, There's a few of them that I really do think I call it a club. We have an autism club. It's not an actual club, but that's what I say to people who I think I see with the same struggles because I don't tell the, I don't diagnose the kids. that's not my job. That's mm-hmm. not even remotely what I'm trained to do, but again, I can kind of see those struggles, and I can empathize with them, and so those kids tend to talk to me a lot because they're like, You get it. Like they showed up two minutes late. I'm like, when they say they' were starting at four and they came up four two and I'm like, oh, how could they? um And so like we empathize a lot and we, we get each other, and I think that's important. Um, but that's that being said, like so obviously there are people who can understand them, um, and so I think really, an issue is that in a neurotypical world, we' just got to figure out those different ways to communicate in a way that we understand, like autistic people learn what neurotypical need to communicate all the time. I feel like it could go the other way,
0: so you just mentioned how it should be a two way street between <laughs> neurotypical neurodivergent people, since neurodivergent people. Work really hard to make it in this typical world mm-hmm. um, and communicate with others, so there's a term for that. Do you want to talk about it?:
1: Yeah, so let me introduce you to something called masking. So masking is kind of like a survival strategy where um neurodivergent people will mimic and copy the behaviors of neurotypical people to fit in more or to make it through situations kind of unscathed. And so what that can look like is, you know, forcing yourself to make eye contact with someone Mm -hmm. Um, that can look like um, mimicking emotions or facial expressions Um, that can look like changing your tone when you speak. Um, It can look like suppressing kind of those certain behaviors that the standard world wouldn't find appropriate. So, like flapping or, um, you know, making those outbursts. So, it's kind of suppressing those. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really just changing your behavior to appear neurotypical. That's what masking is.
0: To kind of just like blend in with the crowd mm-hmm. kind of thing. You mentioned earlier, like when you get ready to go out to like a social gathering, mm-hmm. are you kind of like preparing all of those things just to? appear like as normal as possible?
1: I think I used to. I think now since I've learned kind of what masking is, um, I don't go out that much. And when I do, I make sure it's with people that I'm comfortable with and with people who I don't feel the need to mask as hard in front of. Um, and so, you know, in college I would be like, I'm going to go to this party and it's going to suck. Um, because there's going to be so many people and it's going to be really loud and overstimulating. Not that I knew what overstimulated was (laughs) at the time, but it's going to be really loud. There's going to be lots of people and I'm not going to know anyone. And I'm going to have to like, I would, in my head, I would have to fake being nice, Mm. but it's not that I wanted to be mean to them but it's, I knew I was going to have to put on that extra effort to seem bubbly when that is not what I was feeling.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. That takes a lot of like mental, it's mental labor to Mm -hmm. kind of, I think for anyone throughout this conversation, I feel like it's important to keep noting like neurotypical people, you might mask too, you know, you might not be like autistic, but like maybe, you know, hearing about masking, you're like, wait, I think I do that too. And I can mm-hmm. better relate to people on the autistic spectrum. Um, exactly. just in, you know, how hard it is. Like personally for me, I, there's been so many times where I'm like, oh, we're stimulated at a bar or club mm-hmm. or I'm at a concert. And it's like, I really, really want to seem fun, but all I want to do is go home. Like I am mm-hmm. exhausted by, you know, shouting into my friend's ear. It's, tiring you know I don't want to be here but I feel bad about it and so I think a good way to
1: kind of understand the the difference because people are like well then why aren't aren't we all autistic it's like no Um, (laughs) there are differences Um, so you said you mentioned a bar setting because it's loud and there's lots of people and you just want to go home for at least like me or a lot of the neurodivergent people that I do know the world is our bar Mm. going to the grocery store going to work hanging out with people we like even like everything feels like that level
0: of effort um and so I think that's an important distinction wow that like gives me a lot of like sympathy and compassion I actually saw a tiktok there is a grocery store somewhere I'm always on tiktok uh I am too don't
1: even worry about it they do
0: uh (laughs) It's like uh, under stimulating shopping hour or something. Yeah, where they like Like,
1: dim the lights and like they dim the lights,
0: only let a certain number of people in. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just very calm and relaxing. Um, I know exactly what you're talking about. I think I've seen that TikTok. I would, I would thrive. I think if somewhere around here had one of those, but yeah, no, like those are important. It's like we need to make spaces more comfortable for people. Exactly. Yeah, I think, and when I think about
1: how like our standard world is built, like it can be as little down to what is your dominant hand because everything is made for right-handed people oh my god yeah and my poor husband is left-handed I'm left-handed as well
0: (laughs) oh yeah so you probably
1: understand it's like nothing is
0: for you no (laughs) like even look at this mug like if I hold it with my, you know, this hand. <laughs> Anybody who's listening, I'm showing my coffee mug. Um, you can't see it. I'm looking at it. I have to use my right hand for you to be able to read the asshole. Oh no!
1: <laughs> see, <letter>. and I've <laughs> never even thought of that. But it's like so little, like the littlest details.
0: Literally, yeah. Or uh, scissors. I always think it's funny when yes. people use my scissors, and I'm like, they're like, why is this fucked up? And I'm like, <laughs> lefty. But it's like, yeah, why is no, it fucked up
1: for you. Not for me.
0: I have been, yeah, dealing with, like, smudging on my hand my whole life, because we write left to right. So you're yeah. right, like, just reinforcing in this conversation, like, the this world is built for uh, binary, white, right-handed, right-handed neurotypical people. Um, and you masked for a really long time, because you you were diagnosed with autism, like, Pretty late in life, wouldn't you say? Like, yeah, um, how 22. old were you? I was 22. 22. And what is a typical diagnosis age?
1: So, that's a good question. And honestly, it depends. So, if you are a boy, you are typically diagnosed earlier in life. And so that can be around like toddler age. Um, if you are a girl, It depends. Some of us are really lucky and can get caught in that same toddler age. Um, But a majority of women do not get diagnosed until they are adults. And that is because of the whole masking thing and how sometimes autism can present a little bit differently. But the way that it presents in women, like stereotypically, um, women are supposed to be quieter, we're supposed to be observant. And a lot of autistic girls at a young age are quiet and observant because they're trying to understand what's going on around them and mimic those behaviors so it's missed quite a lot in in women um and there was a point in time where like they didn't even think women could be autistic so like all of the research is very from a very male dominated perspective (laughs) um and so it's just they're obviously starting to get better about it now but there's leaps and bounds more research on it from a male perspective than there is from the women's perspective
0: i feel like that's everything in life i know (laughs) airbags and cars are like tested on men Mm -hmm. medication amounts dosages Mm -hmm. are like based on men and then they just like lower it for women we have a lot of work to do like we really do in that gender capacity um but your husband just kind of like went through the cracks. Is that what happened? Is that no? So my husband's name is John. He's very cool.
1: Um, I like him a lot.
0: <laughs> well, when you guys met, you really like connected, and you we didn't. Did. Nece- there was like a lot of um things that you just didn't understand why you got along so well, right?
1: Yeah, there felt like a lot less hurdles. There felt like a lot less communication issues. Um, and so something that I want to be very clear about is that my husband is not diagnosed on the spectrum. Um, however, we do definitely think he's neurodivergent. And I do think just from the things that he's told me and the things his teachers told his mom, the things that other professionals told his mom, had he chosen to get tested as a child, most likely would have been diagnosed as on the spectrum um his mom just kind of went with the you have the supports in place to be successful we just didn't they didn't feel the label was necessary is the biggest thing um but he does kind of identify as neurodivergent but he's less comfortable using the label because he just didn't you know grow up with it and um never got officially diagnosed um but i met him kind of at the beginning I said I was diagnosed at 22 I met him when I was 22 um where I was just learning and coming to terms with the fact that I was autistic and obviously I didn't say anything to him because I'd met him like a month before yeah <laughs> that's weird um to meet me to just be like hello something you should know about me is that I am autistic especially because I was just learning about it so it was like I didn't know in what ways, (laughs) like it's very hard when you do things and think of things your entire life to just automatically think of, oh, it is because of X, Y, Z. And that's the lens I view it from. You have to understand the lens to even look at it. Um, And so I was in the very beginning of that journey. And I just noticed, I would say to people like, he just gets me, like we just get each other. It just, like, we just seem to understand one another's perspectives. And obviously later I kind of told him about it and he was like, oh, Yeah, when I was a kid, (laughs) that was something people told me as well. And we were like, oh, that's great. Maybe that's, maybe that's why. (laughs) Because we just, our brain processes things in the same way.
0: So one example that you gave was you guys do parallel play. Yeah. And so I
1: I just kind of joke about that, to be honest. Um, We have a lot, we spend a lot of time together. Obviously we live in California right now and it's just the two of us. Um, all of our family lives in Washington state and all of our friends live in Washington state. Um, and so a lot of the time we'll both be really tired. Cause he like does a lot of um, training and working out for his goals and then works during the day. And then I work a lot with emotionally heavy things during the day. So we both get home and we're like so tired. And so we'll just like literally sit in bed and turn on the TV and be on our phones, but like while touching <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that that's good for us. That's quality time. Are there other things that you guys can do together that you you didn't feel like you could do with somebody else, understood by somebody else? I
1: definitely understood because I, again, I felt like I could do everything neurotypical couples do because I've been in a relationship before and it's not like we had big issues in terms of me being autistic and the other person not. However, when it comes to me speaking, um, my brain tends to jump around. So I can start, we can have a conversation about sandwiches and I can end up two minutes later talking about Disneyland. (laughs) And it is because I'm like, oh, sandwiches are fun. Like this is how it works in my brain. I had a sandwich at the pool once. Oh, I like pools. Hey, pools are at hotels. Oh, the Disneyland hotel. Oh, I love Disneyland. Like that's, (laughs) that's in within like seconds. That's where I'm at. And so with friends not even just in relationships where I've gone from one thing to another and it totally makes sense in my head how I got there and it feels contextual and it feels like it relates and they're like how why are you talking about that and that's never been an issue with him he's he follows very easy yeah <laughs> um he's just like yeah that makes sense I know what we're talking about this and it's it's less I have to explain the pathway yeah. it's just like oh yeah I get it I know how you got there
0: So the communication is easier. It feels smoother. Do you you think think that the label helped you?
1: I think for me specifically, the label helped me. Um, I've always kind of been a perfectionist. I've always kind of felt off um, in terms of me with other people. Um, I've always felt like I was the odd one out. And I never understood why. Because in my head, I was like, I'm so nice to people. Like, I'm so nice, and I'm so fun, and I'm so cool. (laughs) And so, like, as a kid, I was like, so why are people mean to me? (laughs) Um, And as an adult, it was like, so why do I have such a hard time making friends? And kind of learning that perspective, it kind of gave me some grace. It was like, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. It's just how my brain works. And now, I, now that I know, I can advocate for myself better in relationships with others because I understand why things are hard for me. Mm-hmm. I can also explain better if people are confused because now I have context, I have a foundation of context. And so for me, it just offered up a world of grace. And I think that that was adding to my anxieties that there were so many things that I felt like had to have been a problem with me that is just not that I'm just like, oh, I'm just simply processing and perceiving the world differently than people around me. And that's mm-hmm. it. And there's nothing wrong, wrong with that at all. Um, so it helped me. Specifically.
0: <laughs> that's yeah, that's really beautiful. Uh, I have synesthesia, which I didn't mm-hmm. really realize until like a few years ago. So like my uh, letters have color I love and that. my numbers have gender basically like if you're listening synesthesia is when your senses are like mixed up or something um, yeah, isn't it's it also that, like, like
1: synapses are like not mixed together in your brain but you have like more of them and they cross in those sections
0: of way like, yeah where they're like they're crossed. um like a lot of uh creatives uh have had it like jimmy hendrix used to describe uh certain chords of music he'd be like oh that's very like orange or mm-hmm. that sounds very blue um or maybe like um a texture like when you touch it will have like a taste you know it might taste like mm-hmm. chocolate in your mouth um yeah it's really really interesting there's like many many different kinds i'm not well versed on it at all but it's just a a way of perceiving the world. Um, like seventy percent of people who have synesthesia with like the color letter thing will say mm-hmm. that the um letter O is white or clear. Or like you and I talked about before, what did you say? Like Thursday. I said Thursday, November and Thanksgiving are all brown. Yeah, literally. <laughs> L- or like maybe a brown purple for me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, definitely. Like Wednesday golden retrievers, twelve PM yellow. Yep. clustered together. So yeah, I'm, it's like I think um we're hopefully working towards a world where the way that people perceive things is like interesting and celebrated instead yeah. of trying to like push people into this box and to a binary box where everything has to be the same and we have to perceive everything the same. Exactly. Um how do you think that having autism makes your life better? That's a really good question,
1: and that's interesting because I would I would say it doesn't make it better; it makes it the same. Okay, <laughs> because it's just, there are definitely things that I like. I would prefer. So I'll talk about that second. Um, because autism is a neurotype, so again, just the way that your pro- brain processes information. So, like, it's that's why people usually use first person language, like "I am autistic," not "have autism," because it's literally your brain is you, how you process the world is in your brain, and so I am I am the way I am, and my life is the way that it is because I'm autistic. Now, when I compare my life to that of neurotypical people, here are the things that I do enjoy. Um, I seem to, like I said, have a much better memory than people, and that is really fun in game nights.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> trivia?
1: <laughs> Not even all trivia, but like if we're gonna talk about, like, do you know Disney seen it? Like, do you remember that game? No. Scene It was, was a game, like a board game, where it showed clips of movies, and you had to answer what did they say, what was in the scene. Oh, I yeah. won every single time from, like, nine years old when it came out to an adult. I could still win now because I'm just like, I know. I don't even got to watch the clip. I know exactly what they said, <laughs> Um so I love that. It's kind of fun. Um, I really love how I experience music because I'm a big auditory stimmer and so any type of music that I get really into um, just elicits such a big hormonal like emotional response in me and I think it's beautiful and I love how intensely I feel those things and this is just bias but I think I'm smarter than everyone else <laughs> 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 and it's, it's just again because like my memory is so helpful and there are certain things that I can get hyper fixated on and just focus really well and understand, and I do think because I'm autistic, um, again, there's a stereotype that people don't have empathy, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of autistic people who argue they're more empathetic than some other people. They feel other people's feelings so harsh, and I think that that makes me really good at my job as a counselor. Um, and so I love that about myself. and I think all of those strengths are intensified by how my brain perceives the information. Um, and I would prefer to experience life that way. Um, And so that's why I don't think it's better. I think it's how it is. But I would prefer living this way than in a neurotypical way.
0: So if somebody is listening to all these things you're saying about, you know, realizing within yourself what was going on um, and they want to look more into themselves, do you have any suggestions like websites or tests that a book maybe that people could kind of jump into? And so I think
1: with that, look for like little communities like, you know, they have those Reddit communities, they have like some discords that are filled with autistic people who I'm sure would be more than happy kind of explaining or like helping you, um, if you really do, if you're looking for some support. I don't, I would like to discourage taking quizzes. Okay. Um, Please don't take like a BuzzFeed quiz, like how autistic (laughs) am I, (laughs) because that's probably not very reliable. And so it was really hard for me to reframe my life in a way that made sense because I was just like, I just saw all these people did things, and so I just looked for information. What are what are the signs? What are? And there are things that are the signs that I thought that doesn't mean I'm autistic, and it doesn't mean you're autistic, but uh, it could mean you're autistic. (laughs) And so just kind of look like do your own research, just look stuff up. What are the signs or the symptoms? What are, what are the signs of the kid? Ask your parents, if you don't remember, Um, ask your friends. And I think for me, I, like I said, I started in therapy. If you're in therapy, maybe work through that with a therapist, like with a psychiatrist, you can ask your doctor about it. Clinical diagnosis is really just through observations over a long period of time, um, especially for adults. So you just got to interact with people a couple of times. Um, and if you know what, like, I know that self-diagnosis is super controversial, but like in a world where medical practice is inequitable, if you feel like this is a label that fits you, just take it. If you, if you look up things that like, how can I support myself as an autistic person and they work for you? Why, why can't you be? If those, if those work for you, they work for you. And I don't think that we should be gatekeeping resources just because you don't have the diagnosis. So in a world where we got to, you know, pay to diagnose those things, if you don't have the money for that and you really feel like you identify with the stuff we've talked about today or, or through your own research, that's completely fine. In the autism community, self-diagnosis is pretty widely supported for those reasons. So I don't want you to, like, freak out that you have to get, like,
0: a medical diagnosis. So what are you hoping, just kind of by sharing your story, thank you, first off, for being here and Absolutely. sharing like such a personal evolution of like discovering yourself and how you perceive the world. What are you hoping happens by sharing this information with people? I
1: hope that for those of us out there who are maybe a little shyer about their diagnosis, because you can mask really well, that people, the people who matter are still going to love you. And this might actually help them understand you better. And maybe it'll help you understand you better and give you some of that grace I was talking about. But really, I just want to normalize it. We are all people living in this world. We are all here in this together. And I really just hope by talking about it, we can kind of undo some of our biases, undo some of those stigmas and just talk about it in a much safer, healthier sense. Um, And you know what? If any person listens to this and thinks, oh, that seems like me, maybe I can kind of help them give that motivation, take those next steps and understand themselves more. So that's that's my goal.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Normalizing it is so important. Just like talking about it, putting like a face to a story. Yeah. You know. Anyone, if you're listening, I hope you got something out of this. You know, maybe <laughs> you're not autistic, but maybe like this helps you understand someone in your life better. Yeah. Or maybe um, you knew me from school and now I make a lot more sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much for being on today and um everyone, we'll be back next week with more butterfly.
1: Thank you. Bye guys.